Technology alone can't solve the challenges nonprofits face, and that's why Neon One provides software that empowers you to manage constituents, all while giving you the resources and support you need to connect to what matters most, your people and their passions. Learn more about how Neon One is helping nonprofits create stronger connections by visiting neonone.com slash weareforgood. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Becky, Dr. B's in the house. Oh my gosh. When we get to talk about Haiti, it lights us up on the podcast. I am super stoked today. I mean, y'all, you know, we talk about community is everything and we believe that we feel it in our bones. And today's conversation is just the overflow of community. And, you know, we had met a really cool guy named Cameron Outlaw in the We Are For Good community. He's now at a Child's Hope Foundation, but he worked with Dr. B on, you know, at her organization and he reached out and he's like, John, if there's one person you have to talk to, you have to meet Dr. B. You got to meet B. And I'll tell you what, the overflow of spending time with her, I was like, there's so much there of just her heart, the way she postures, she's the way she's built her organization and just the way she shows up in the world. I'm so delighted to share this conversation today. So it's my sincere honor to introduce Dr. Bertrude Albert to you. She's the CEO and founder of P4H Global. You know, she is a Haitian born American and she immigrated at the age of eight to the US with her family. And during this time, she became a triple threat Gator. I mean, look at this. She's got her BA in English. Then she has her MA in Latin American studies. And then she completed her PhD in agricultural education and communication. She's like a triple threat. And Dr. B released this incredible TED Talk. And you have to go back and listen to this. And we're going to thread a lot of what she talked about in that. But she tells about her story of how she really learned the power of compassion when it's channeled in the wrong way. Even though the heart can be right in the right trajectory, we really have to rethink how we're doing charity. And, you know, the way she showed up in that really talked about how they built this organization in Haiti today and their training and equipping teachers. They are reimagining how you empower people on the front lines, amazing heroes on the front lines in Haiti. And they're just all about empowerment. And so this conversation is going to be big and heartfelt and hopefully challenging to all of us. And so it's just a huge delight to have you in the house. Be welcome. Oh my goodness, John and Becky, thank you for having me. I am the minute I knew that today was going to be the day that that we would have this conversation. I was I've been looking forward to this day, uh, so I'm so thankful. I'm thankful uh, that you all, listeners within the We Are for Good community, are taking the time to hear my my story and hear my words. Thank you so much. You know, I did not want to give away much of your story because I think it's so captivating. And, you know, we talk a lot about the power of lived experience. And I think your story really translates so deeply in this. So would you kind of take us back to growing up and being an immigrant, but also having this heart for where you were born and then just kind of catch us up to where you are today? Certainly. Thanks for that question. So as as you all know, I was born in Haiti, specifically Cap Haitian, um, actually in my mom's bed. <laughs> my mom gave birth to me in bed. Um, and 
when I was a baby, my parents en- ended up immigrating to the United States specifically for educational reasons. They wanted to give me great opportunity. My parents loved Haiti, but at the same time, they wanted to set me and my five brothers and sisters up for the the best success. Uh, yeah, Haitians know how to make babies. <laughs> That's the <what I'm> one <laughs> thing I could tell you. Uh, my dad's one of like 15. My mom's one of 16. So it, they definitely carried on the family legacy there. We came to the United States and uh, I ended up really excelling in, in school. Same thing with my brothers and sisters. Went to the University of Florida, was a professional student for 10 years, just really uh, dug deep in education. But while I was at the University of Florida in my first years, I uh, heard about the earthquake that struck Haiti. And it had been 12 years since I had gone back to Haiti. I knew in my heart, I knew in my spirit, my soul, like I had to go back to the land that birthed me. I had to go back and see for myself what was going on in my country. And when I flew back to Haiti for the first time, uh, man, Becky, John, my entire life completely radically mm. changed. When I met the Haitian people, you know, some people were like, oh, B, you're going to cry a lot. It's so, so much despair, so much sadness, so much destruction. And yes, there was an earthquake that completely rocked the entire nation and the nation was trying to get back on its feet. But the strength that I saw inspired me so deeply the 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 peace that i saw despite the circumstances inspired me deeply and as i'm meeting people i was blown away at how strong these people are and i think that what brought me to a deeper level is that i saw myself in them i realized that man for 12 years i've been away but the Haitian people are me, like my freedom is bound together with theirs. And and so in that week of being back to Haiti for the first time, I made a commitment that I am going to walk through life with my people. The rest of my life is going to be dedicated to being alongside of, uh, of these people, not just because, yes, we have an objective of ending poverty, but because I am deeply inspired, deeply moved, deeply connected um, to these people that the world so often overlooks. Um, so, I mean, I could take a pause there, but that, that was the beginning of me changing my major, changing my entire life to really be focused on the Haitian people and seeing Haiti rise. I'm going to walk through this life beside my people. Like, is that the way to set the tone for this conversation? And, you know, I just, we often host people on the podcast who talk about this proverbial fork in the road that they experience in life where they could go this, this easy route, this very natural route that's comfortable, that's known, but the heart like pulls them down, you know, this other path. And I am seeing how much joy and life it has given you to walk down this other path. And I'm also just thinking how brave your parents are to completely uproot their life in the pursuit of education. And here you are with a PhD and how you went full tilt into education and how you're making that totally full circle, going back to invest what you've learned in your people. So I'm hanging on to every single word and I cannot wait to hear how you channeled this. So I I would love for you to kind of just 
pick up that story there and talk about what happens when you woke up and just felt this kinship and this spirit of like, I'm going to connect my life to this mission because we want to hear about P4H Global. You founded this nonprofit. It was formerly named Projects for Haiti. While you were still an undergrad with your fellow PhD queen, um, Dr. (laughs) Priscilla Zelaya, who was also a fellow University of Florida student, I want to make the connection for us. How did you see this need and how did you come and say, I think I have something to give in this area and how this nonprofit was born? Uh, thank you for that, um, Becky. You you have a way of taking stories and then just like making it so beautiful. I I, I love the summary. That's your story, girl. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Picking back up to where we were, I experienced Haiti for the first time. I came back to the United States and I started to talk to my roommate then. She's also my roommate now, um, Priscilla, and I told her, Pris, I feel deeply connected to my people. I want to give my life to this. What can we do? And we started to talk and that was the beginning. That was the genesis of P4H Global. Now, our story is a very interesting one in that we actually began the organization off on the wrong foot. What do I mean by that? Um, we initially thought, okay, the way that we help Haiti, the way that we stand uh, with Haiti, become an ally is to do what so many organizations do. Let's collect food, shoes, clothes. We ended up collecting over 400 pounds of supplies for the Haitian people. And we brought that supp- those supplies to Haiti with 19 volunteers from the University of Florida. Um, and we spent a week passing things out left and right. I always say that I felt like a younger, blacker broker, Oprah Winfrey. I was like, you get a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, John, I felt so, uh, there's like the giver's high. And I felt that giver's high. But at the end of the week, we sat down with community leaders and we asked them, what did you think about the work that we did? We were expecting to get some great feedback. Chris and I are, are big on getting feedback and having that, that iterative feedback loop. But when we sat down with them, they blew our minds by telling us they appreciated the effort, they appreciated the love, but we hurt the community more than we helped the community. And mm-hmm. we were blown away at the, the possibility that We, people with good intentions that spent months collecting over 400 pounds of supplies, we gave our week, our spring break up to work with the Haitian people, and yet we're hurting the people that we're trying to help. And at first, there was a little bit of tension in my heart trying to really understand this. I said, please help me understand because I don't fully grasp, I can't fully grasp. They introduced us to uh, people that sold clothes and for the upcoming weeks, because we flooded the community with clothes, they won't be able to sell. People that sold shoes and because we flooded the community with free shoes, who can compete with free? We were blown away to actually see the negative impact of our work. And so we knew we had to change things. We knew that this organization couldn't be focused on 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 trying to give handouts, putting a, a, a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, but really getting deep into the deep-rooted struggles that the people, the Haitian people had and trying to to help alleviate some of the pain that they're they're fi- they're that they're 
facing. And so we came back to the United States. We started to do research. And let me tell you, John, Becky, we were blown away to see that academically people were supporting what the Haitian people had said. We read more than good intentions, um, toxic charity, when helping hurts, dead aid, all of these books over and over and over and over again were saying the same thing that our Haitian partners were saying. And we knew we had to make a shift with the organization. And so there we see that the organization shifted from us just giving clothes and food and shoes, giving supplies, giving handouts to education, which is at the heart of what the Haitian people want, is to be empowered, is to be um, in control of their own destiny. And the way that you do that is by empowering through education, giving them knowledge, understanding, skills, experience, so that one day they are not dependent on handouts. They're not dependent on the aid that the outside world can give. Okay, B, whoa. I mean, whoa, is the only way to react. But um, thank you for just your vulnerability and taking us mm -hmm. back because I think that that story, I hope if you're listening, like if you haven't dove into this and wrestled with this, it is a hard concept because no one's talking about off intentions here. The intentions were so right. The enthusiasm was real, but the way it went about um, just didn't ultimately serve and uplift the community. And I'm glad we're talking about community today because y'all talk about this in your TED talk. I know it's threaded in your work, but just this idea of asking before you aid and like, Ooh. how does, how does that conversation, those are your words. Like you got to take the credit. That's not a quote from me. That's a quote from y'all, but I think that's so powerful. And so will you kind of walk us through that, how it's reinformed the values of how P4H is organized now, because we love talking about values and what you're talking about is going under the currents, not attacking the top level of the problem you see, but going in and trying to help systemically. What are the values that drive y'all today in your work? Oh, so good. I love that question, John. The four values of P4H, they really surround these four words uh, that start with a P, people, poverty, partnership, and professionalism. Um, and so as we dig deeper into those things, you'll see that everything we do, it really surrounds people. We are a people-centered organization. And we're going to get to the idea of asking before you aid. Uh, but specifically, everything we do, we're always asking ourselves, how is this uplifting people? How is this affirming their dignity? How does this really focus on the Haitian people more than it focuses on our good intentions, more than it focuses on our desire to help. How do we focus absolutely everything we do, everything we're about, everything we're investing in on the people of Haiti? And so, yes, we're working within the context of economic poverty, but even when you look at economic poverty, one of the biggest values that we have is that the solution to poverty lies within local communities. The yes. solution to poverty is not going to be the outside world coming with money and infrastructure. The solution to poverty are the people. And why is that? Even if I build a, a, a if I, even if I construct a building tomorrow, the minute I leave, if the people aren't empowered to maintain that building, to take it to the next level, it is worth. It's worthless. It, it, it doesn't, it's not worth anything if the people are invested and they don't have the power to maintain and sustain long-term positive change. So yes, we're working within the context of poverty, but the people are the solution. And how do you do that? 
through partnerships, recognizing that it's got to be mutually benefiting. There isn't this idea where I'm coming in with the money, with the knowledge, with the experience. And so my views are higher than yours. No way. In fact, this is your community. And so if anyone is working within the context of a vulnerable community, one of the prerequisites I would say to partnering with a vulnerable community is realizing that they know more about the community than you could ever. They are the solution more than you would ever be. And so if you're helping, even if you're coming in with a PhD or whatever letters you want to put behind your name, realizing that you've got to ask them before you intervene with your expertise, because at the end of the day, they have the PhD in their community and you don't. And so that really wraps around this idea of asking before you aid, because you will hurt, you will damage, you will undermine, you will become the the, the savior, uh, the false savior of the community if you don't focus on the people more than on your expertise or your good intentions or your your heart. Uh, and then the last P, professionalism, everything that we're doing, we ensure that there's this high level of, of accountability, transparency, honoring the people that we work with. All, all in all, all of the people, all of the P's of our values, they surround, uh, they can be summarized with the, the one word, people, valuing the people. I mean, no one can see me, but I'm like Arsenio <laughs> oh Hall fist pumping in the air. <laughs> Here's the thing I notice about what you're saying. Like it is, this whole conversation is steeped in humility. And if you can use that as a starting point for going into mission work, it's going to set the right tone for partnerships. And I, I 100% agree with you that the answers to healing communities lies in the community already. We just need to understand how we can take what we know with what the community knows. How do we co-build it together? And how do we come in with a heart of compassion and partnership to do that? And the fact that it's baked in your values is just like we're rooting over there because we think that's where everything starts. But I want to double click on this compassion piece because mm. your TED Talk talks about how compassion can be one of the most dangerous emotions. And I got to tell you, like my little Enneagram 2 empath heart is like wired right now and leaning in like, <laughs> I want to make sure I don't go in with good intentions that I am not aware wrapped in my white saviorism or in my ability Ooh. to want to be the hero. And so I want you to talk about yes. how can compassion undermine the dignity and the impact of others? Like talk to us about some of the examples and the things that you've seen in your work. Certainly, Becky, I would love to do that. And so even before I begin, I want to talk about this idea of the savior complex or the white savior complex, because that's going to help usher us into this really uh, critical discussion. Um, and so some people will say, okay, B, I get what you're saying. So are you talking, are you telling me helping people that's not good? And that's not what we're saying at all. Because helping people is virtuous. It's needed. That's that's what, what pushes the world forward, I believe. But the issue comes when 
your good intentions, your desire to help, it it becomes the star of the show more than the actual needs of the community, Mm -hmm. what the community actually needs to have long-term sustained change. When it becomes more about you and what you want and how you feel than the actual change, the positive change in the community, that's when there's a savior complex. And so let's go ahead and, and jump right into this discussion of how compassion is needed in life, but it can also be dangerous. It's dangerous because compassion, that's that thing that fills your heart when you see a disaster and you want to rush in, save the day. You want to to pull people out of the, 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 the situation that they're in. And there are some contexts where we need to act fast. Like when, when the earthquake hit Haiti, we needed to act fast because life's depended on it. And we can't just sit there and say, okay, how do we help sustainably develop? No, people's lives depend on us being able to act. Of course, you're still asking and you're not imposing, but you still need to act fast. But the issue is when you look around the world, a lot of people look at the problems, deep-rooted problems like economic poverty, disparities, educational inequalities, and they treat these deep-rooted long-term problems as if it's a quick fix, as if it's a relief. The world oftentimes doesn't need relief, these quick fixes. We need long-term development. And when we confuse the two, then you have people looking at poverty in Haiti, economic poverty, and saying, let me rush in and let me save the day with clothes and food and shoes because that's what Haiti needs. When in reality, Haiti isn't in need of these handouts. Haiti is in need of long-term, deep, long-term investments. And so when we go back to this idea of compassion... Compassion is the feeling that makes you want to rush in. And if you don't put your compassion in check, if you don't check yourself, continuously reflect on your actions, um, you can easily hurt the people you're trying to help. And how do you check yourself? Ask before you aid. Don't just rush in and think, oh my goodness, Haitian people don't have the clothes that I have. Let me do a drive and, and, and give them the clothes that 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 they need. They need brand new Nikes, not 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 what they're wearing. So ask before you're you're aiding. Um, that is probably the biggest thing that you can help do to help check your compassion. The second thing that you can do to really check your compassion is evaluate the impact. Evaluate um, the short term and the long-term impact of your actions in the country. One thing that I really ask myself over and over again is, okay, um, if I were to leave tomorrow, is the community better off than, than when they first began? Or are they dependent on me? And if they are dependent on me, what plan do I have so that in a year, in two years, they don't have the dependence that they have right now on me? I hope that that made sense. I'll pause right there. Hey friends, taking a pause from this feel-good conversation to share a quick story. Hope in a Future is a nonprofit that serves children in the Arizona foster care system. Last year, they wanted to grow donations during Giving Tuesday. The only problem? Giving Tuesday was only one day away. Determined to seize the opportunity, they reached out to our friends at Feather. With help from Feather Services, Hope in a Future managed to launch a complete advertising campaign just in time. As a direct result, they raised more than $500 on Giving Tuesday, but that was just the beginning. Hope in a Future decided to follow up with an additional retargeting campaigns designed to increase donations and re-engage previous donors. They raised over $32,000 with just a $4,000 ad spend. 
Nonprofits of all shapes and sizes are turning to Feather to grow their campaigns with targeted digital ad tools that reach people whenever and wherever they're online. Use Feather to grow your year-end fundraisers. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e, dot co. I mean, did it make sense? I think it's the anecdote to everything. Yeah. And I think you're leading into like just this idea of sustainability and legacy. And, and I think about your first trip to Haiti and like you, you described it. Cause honestly, I've felt that way. The first time I went to Thailand, I just felt this like kinship with the people. I love the people. I just, I saw them at their brightest spot, you know? And I think that's what's so beautiful hearing your story reflect back is that I feel like you've always seen the empowerment and the hope in their eyes and the healing. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you're now championing that the solution's not outside, it's actually right there. And that's how you've oriented your work with teachers. And something that I want to lead you into to, to share with us, because I think what you've done so powerful is that we believe in the power of education. It's kind of why we are for good exist. This whole idea of growth mindset and pouring into ourselves as people. And you're doing that on the front lines, using the heroes in Haiti to be the teachers that create sustainability and, you know, and lift up communities. So talk about that model and talk about, share a story of somebody that you've met that has just come alive as they get to be on the platform and teach um, their own people. Oh, love this question. Um, we realized in our in our journey of understanding the true needs of the Haitian people that the key is education. I remember talking with Firenze, who is still part of P4H, um, 10 years ago, and he said, you know what's going on, B? It, it's as if the world has good intentions, America has good intentions, and they're coming to Haiti. And let's say Haiti is a car that won't start. He said, it's as if People with good intentions are looking at the car and they say, I know what you need. You need a new paint job. And so they're giving us this beautiful paint job, this really great new coat, when the reality is we need you to roll up your sleeves, lift up the hood and find the root of the problem, which is the engine that won't start. For us, our engine is education. He said, B, get this. We've got an educational system where 60% of students drop out of school before they finish elementary school. And I was like, I did Whoa. not know this. And, and that's why you see the rate of Haitians being illiterate. It's, it's really, really high because m- most of us are dropping out of school before we finish the sixth grade. I was like, oh my goodness. He said, B, let's go even deeper. I'm like, please, let's go deeper. I want this. Let's get to the root of what you think the problem is. Because there are some issues. There are some struggles, some beautiful parts of Haiti. But there are some struggles. What do you think the root is? He's like, okay, students are dropping out. But why are students dropping out? He said, of course, there's an economic problem, but it's not just fully economic because we've got a 98% enrollment rate when they're young. Students are dropping out when they're taking national exams. And we're like, okay, let's let's get deeper. What does that mean? He said, B, we've got 80% of teachers in Haiti that aren't trained. Eight out of 10 teachers in Haiti have not gone through normal school, which is teacher training school. They haven't been adequately adequately trained. There are people that would love students or love education or are just given a job, and then they take the job and they're in the classroom. Can you imagine today where you would be if 80% of your teachers were not qualified to be in the job that they're in? And I was so blown away at that. And I'm like, I'm shocked. 
I mean, you shook. stack you I'm stack these it. stats together just because I think if you're driving or you're washing dishes, which is when I listen to podcasts, I mean, think <laughs> about this, that you're saying 60% of kids drop out by sixth grade of school, and then you have 80% of teachers that don't have the training to be able to teach. And 98% want to be there what? at the onset. I feel like to your example about the car, it's like somebody came in and said, if we had more crayons, they would want to come to school. And it's like, that is not the problem. That is not the aid we need. Oh my goodness. So talk to us about this. Yes. Oh, you are. You are getting me so excited. And you know, what's so interesting what's happening in Haiti. P for H, we've had the uh, privilege just in the past two years, and we'll get to why we're seeing so much success. Just in the past two years, we've had some major organizations approach P4H, like the Inter-American Development Bank, um, Food for the Poor, World Vision, some all multi-billion dollar organizations that have said, okay, in the past, we have built hundreds of schools across the nation of Haiti, and we are seeing that the issue isn't access, isn't buildings, the issue is the people that are in the building. We need to build up the capacity of the people and not just the people. And so we've just in the past two years have had huge, significant contracts with these mega dogs, big dogs within Haiti who have said, we've built buildings, but we're, we're still having a lot of big issues with quality. It's not just access. Access is important, but teachers want to be there. Students want to be there. Access is there. The quality. That's where we're we're falling short. And P4H, I'm really glad that 10 years ago, we started on this journey of quality, not just coming with supplies, not just coming with what we can build, but helping to build up the people, helping to build up the real school institution, which are the teachers, the principals, the parents, which ultimately will impact the students. We came out of a series at the end of last season we called the Impact Arc. And it was this, you know, it's what Becky and I learned in our 15 plus years of being on the inside of, of building movements and raising more money. And it's like, it has to start with asking a bigger, better question of what you're really trying to do, because we can all chase tactics in everything in life and in anything that we want to do, we can just chase a tactic and say, build another building. When school can happen under a tree, if you have the people, <laughs> you know, if you have the actual right question that I'm trying to change a generation, I'm trying to educate, I'm trying to uplift, like that's the better question, not what type of bricks does the building need to be, right? And I love design. I love getting into the tactics. I'm but proud of you for saying this about design and letting it go, John. That's big for you <laughs> in optics. In the presence of all these witnesses. <laughs> You're so right, John, because, um, and we say it all the time, of course, that doesn't mean that we're neglecting. I want nice buildings. And and when I go to schools that don't have like the best roofs and don't have the best supplies, that still does tug at my heart, my heartstrings. And I'm like, I, I want the best for these students. But at the end of the day, research is very clear. The thing that has the biggest impact on student success is teacher efficacy. It's not the color of the building. It's not the, the size of the building, which it, it really is important. Still, the environment is important, but the biggest impact is how effective the student is because the teacher is. Because if I have a teacher that can see me where I am and help bring me to where I need to be, they can help override some of these other really big issues that we see within Haiti's educational system. 
Okay. I need to ask a super inappropriate question, but I can ask it more so than John because I'm a woman asking another woman. How old are you, Dr. B? Oh, yes. I am. I just turned 32. (laughs) You are 32 years old and I am looking and listening to your growth mindset and how to walk in as a leader with absolute humility, with eyes wide open, with instead of bringing your development plan, your strategic plan, you bring a blank piece of paper to me and you're like, community, get in here and let's like build something impactful. And I am just so effervescent in my hope and my joy right now that this is the way you change the world. I I also want to compliment your storytelling because I think the way that even just the way you're speaking to us, I feel the other human on the, I feel like I can see them on the other side of this. But as we were doing some research on your nonprofit before this conversation, we fell down a rabbit hole of watching your TikToks. (laughs) You have more than 800,000 views on your videos there. So we clearly know that we're not the only ones who are enamored by it. So Talk to us about storytelling on TikTok because we see this as a rising, emerging medium of connection, of storytelling, of bringing this true lived experience and not the prettiest version, That's but right. the real human version to people. We want to know, like, what has your experience been like telling these stories and providing education on this platform and talk about it a little bit with us? Certainly. Thank you for that, Becky. Um, so, January of this year, I decided to start TikTok, start a TikTok. Um, interesting. I'm horrible with technology, as you all saw earlier. Um, <laughs> I'm really bad with technology. So I've stayed away. Even my Instagram, I, I wasn't too active just because I, I struggle with technology. Um, but I knew in my heart that I can't just work in Haiti because at the end of the day, I'm not eternal on this earth. And I want to leave something behind um, that can help inspire more change throughout the world. Maybe not even just Haiti, maybe with other countries. And as I was thinking through, I'm like stories, that's how you change the world. It's through telling your story. And so I decided in January to start my, my TikTok and I've been blown away. As you mentioned, 55,000 new followers on, on TikTok and I'm blown away. And then even my Instagram, I have maybe like 800, 900 people on my Instagram. I'm at about 12,000 people on new people on Instagram where I'm doing nothing, but just telling the true story of the Haitian people. Cause the, the media doesn't do the best job at telling the full story of the Haitian right. people. And I think as you all have said it multiple times, people are uh, attracted to stories. Like they want to hold on to something they feel is real and authentic. And that has been my tagline is a Haitian American dedicated to telling Haiti's true story. And so that's exactly what I do on, on my TikTok, just telling the stories, having short clips of different parts of Haiti. I mean, Y'all, Haiti was the first free Black republic in the world. Haiti gained independence in 1804. And when Haiti gained independence, Haiti inspired the freedom and liberty of other Latin American countries. That's why you can see Haiti's flag in the Colombian flag. Haiti gained independence not just for Haitians, but for the world, for enslaved 
Africans across the Caribbean, across the world. And that's why you see that Haiti being the second nation in the Western Hemisphere, the, the first established nation in the Caribbean, we inspired the abolition of, of, of slavery um, in the Dominican Republic, in several Latin American countries. Haiti stands as a powerful symbol of freedom and liberty, specifically for, for us Black folks. And, and when you see that story and you share it, people are like, I've, I never knew this. That's not what media or school has taught me. And it's my joy to share that story with the rest of the world. That's your masterclass. You know, you come for one thing, you come for the tactic of how do you TikTok? And Dr. B takes us to the core of it. You know, you tell a story that is brings hope, that paints people in the best of light, that brings dignity, that brings celebration. And the way you talk, like you love Haiti, you love the people. And I just feel it through the screen. I know you'll feel it, you know, in this podcast today. It's paining me because we're kind of coming to the end of our conversation, but I want to give you a chance to tell a story because we have seen personally the power of philanthropy in our own lives, how it changes us as people, whether someone giving or maybe being part of a giving experience. I want to kick it to you, B. Would you share a moment of philanthropy that has stuck with you throughout your journey? One of the most powerful stories that I have carried and I will continue to carry with me, uh, I think the rest of my life, it it really shines light on our trainers and our trainers, they are the ones who are the heroes of the story. They are the true change. Even though, John, Becky, I'm talking with you today right now, the true success of P4H is because of our full-time staff. We've got 40 full-time staff. They're the ones that travel across the nation, training teachers. They're the ones that are in the trenches. They're the ones that, that are creating the true change in Haiti. And what really gives me a lot of encouragement is realizing in the beginning of P4H, um, it was Priscilla and I who were trainers and we were doing trainings. But as, as time progressed, we realized if we truly want to believe in like the empowerment of the Haitian people, and if we truly believe that Pris, you and I are not the solution, it should be the Haitian people that are doing the training. And so we would train the, the Haitian people and we had a small team of people that would be trained and they would get really good at training other teachers. But there was this one man specifically, Laurent, who just excelled. And there reached a point where Laurent became a better trainer than me. And I, I, I looked at him one day, like I was seeing him train one day. I said, Laurent, you realize that you are better than me at training. Not only is the passion there, but you speak the language 10 times better than me. You've been in the Haitian classroom in a way that I've never been in the Haitian classroom. You are a better trainer than me. I told him, I said, Lola, I can't wait to see what the future happens, what in what happens in the future. Tell me how y'all last year, um, we were sitting down with, uh, with a group of trainers and there's another guy, Wisno, who rose up to be even better than Laurent. And so we're sitting down reflecting and Laurent looks at Wisno and he says, Wisno, you're a better trainer than me. You are, and he starts rattling off all of these different things. And he's like, you have surpassed who I am as a trainer. And I know I've done a great job because you've done that. And he says, and Dr. B, she did it with me. You 
now have surpassed me, we know it's your turn. Go find someone else who's going to be a better trainer than you, who's going to be more effective than you. And that's how we change the system. And I am just like crying, weeping, because I'm like, that's the heart of philanthropy, right? It's not about you. I know I've done a good job. If you're better than me, if you don't need me, if one day we reach a point where you say, B, you're here because I love you. I want you to be here, not because I need you to be here. And to this day, it grounds me in knowing that P4H as an organization, the minute we've worked ourselves out of a job and the teachers are better than our trainers, that's when I know, like, man, we've we've done a very good job. I mean, we just think that upskilling with a heart for humility and checking your ego at the door is the great multiplier mm. of greatness. And it just feels like a ripple that you've started here. And you're allowing it to just grow and grow and grow. And the greatest compliment, B, of your life is when you come to the end of your legacy and there are hundreds of people that have flown from the Dr. B. And to me, that is how systemic change works. And to me, the great gift of all of this is the empowerment of how you've changed their lives and how they'll change others. You know, we're good friends with Skylar Badnock and our friends over at Hope for Haiti. You're helping train our friends over at Hope for Haiti and the cross partnership between nonprofits yeah. is an, is something we haven't even discussed in this. It's community to community. It's nonprofit to nonprofit. And I just want to make you my friend for life. Oh. And I want you to have all the good things that you deserve. And I love that the underpinning now of what I'm feeling in this conversation is what you just said about Haiti being the first free black Republic. Yes, And we got to channel that as something that was the first of its kind of empowerment. And now you're just yes. taking it and running with it. So Gosh, Dr. B, how are we going to wrap this up? I mean, I got to pitch you our one good thing. And I want to know, how are you going to distill all of what you have learned? How can you bring it back to one good thing that you could offer to our community today? What would be yours? The one good thing I have learned, the one good thing that I I focus my life on um, is that people are not the problem. They are the solution. I I truly, with everything in me, believe that this world will be an even better place as we look at our brothers and sisters left and right, whether they look like us, sound like us, uh, whether they have the same education or not, whatever it might be, if we look at them as the solution to the problems of this world and not the problems of this world. So I'd encourage everybody that's listening uh, to continue to find ways that you can help elevate, uh, affirm the dignity of people, and really focus the things that you're doing in this world on uh, advancing the lives of other people. Am I surprised that B brought it back to her values that inform everything? You know, this conversation has completely grown my heart, and I feel like I knew your story coming in the door. I'm getting emotional feeling this. There's so much here for everybody in this community. And I just um, hope that this is a springboard for so many people, like Becky just said, to connect with you all. The work you're doing matters. The thought leadership, your TikToks matter, like all of it. So share, please share the ways. How can, what are your needs and how can people connect with you personally and also through P4H? 
Oh, online great or however. question. Um, people can certainly connect with me personally uh, through my TikToks and through my Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty active there. And so my both handles are just my first name, Bertrude, B-E-R-T-R-H-U-D-E. Also, P4H Global is on Instagram and, and Facebook. So you, got, you all can join us there. I think the, the greatest way that you all can help us in this season is certainly um, helping us to reframe the story of the Haitian people, sharing the story, um, being inspired by it, allowing it to to inspire you to do even greater things. And of course, helping us share that story. Um, And then also, we are always looking for professionals that can help us train our trainers in Haiti. And so like last month, we had uh, somebody has an expertise on trauma. And so we had a training for our trainers on like trauma, how to have a trauma-informed school. And so we're always trying to find ways to empower, strengthen our core 40 trainers. And as they're strengthened, they go on and strengthen hundreds upon hundreds of, of teachers across the entire nation. And of course, you already know we need funds to, to move forward. So if yeah. y'all want to donate, we accept with a happy heart. <laughs> um, but that that's it. Thank you all so much for this time, for your time, John, Becky, um, for, for your time, everybody that's listening. Um, this has been such a joy for me. For us too. And I just like want to close by saying, Mr. and Mrs. Albert, Mama and Daddy Albert, you've done so good. You've done so good with your with your children and with this child. They what you are giving back is just absolutely it started with education. And the fact that you rolled back into education is just the fairy tale and the aspirational part of the story for me. So keep going. We are absolutely rooting for you, Dr. B. Oh, I just love you all. Thank you so much. Hey friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.